Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Easter Sunday. We, we like to refer to it as Resurrection Sunday uh, because this is the time to celebrate something that is so profound. I've called this message, He's All or Nothing. He's All or He's Nothing. It's, uh, it's something to experience all. I like to go to all-you-can-eat restaurants. I like to experience <laughs> how much all is. And, uh, it, it, and, and sometimes I experience a little bit too much of all at all-you-can-eat all restaurants. But it's another thing to experience nothing. In this, this day, some 2,000 years ago, what we're celebrating today his followers had experienced nothing. They'd seen him on a cross, brutally murdered, butchered, something that was so horrific that I don't believe any normal person could shake that or get that out of their head. I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed something horrific or not. I one time witnessed something that I wish I wouldn't have seen, uh, someone that had jumped off a bridge. Whew, you know, I made the mistake of looking over the side of the bridge and seeing this, this woman face up, and it's never left me. I, I could see her as vividly right now as the day that I looked over the bridge, and something told me, don't look. But I looked, <laughs> and now I regret it. But what they saw on what we call Good Friday, and I encourage you to go back and get the message, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you'll find the message that, that I preached on Friday just uh, a couple days ago on Good Friday and why we call it Good Friday. But the spectacle of someone being filleted, if you will, butchered on a cross, Someone, not just someone, but someone that you grew to fall in love with over many years, some of them, as Jesus' mother was there. She nestled him as a baby. She probably breastfed him as a baby. It was, he was the apple of her eye. He was her hope. And then I think about Mary uh, Magdalene, who was there. Ma Mary Magdalene she encountered Jesus at a time where there was absolutely no hope in her world. She was insane. It says Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Now, we don't talk much about the demonic today. It seems to be something that's a little bit lost in the power of casting those things out, but I've personally encountered those things, more so in third world countries. They're very real and would make the hair on your, on your body stand up like frightening stuff. To think that she had seven of these things in her. She'd been passed around from, from men. She was abused. Again, she was insane. Her life was a wreck, a hopeless mess. And that nightmare had come to an end because of this person, Jesus. For her, she got her sanity back. 
her mind while she was put back in her right mind because of him. She ate with him. She laughed with him. She loved him. She took her dowry of anointing oil, which was very expensive. It was about a whole year's wages worth of oil or perfume, if you will. And she poured it on Jesus' feet as an act of worship. She was so in love with him. And then she wiped his feet with her tears. And now she beheld someone so beautiful that was made so ugly for you and I. That was the great exchange on the cross, but it was something that was etched now forever in their memories. And then there was jo Joanna. Joanna, it says, was there. And most people don't know much about her, but she was married to Herod Antipas, the Herod that had John the Baptist put to death because this Herod was sleeping with his own brother's wife. And John the Baptist dared to say, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And so he had him beheaded at a party. This is the Herod that Johanna's husband, Chusa, <laughs> had worked for as his chief steward. And now Jesus is dead. As far as they know, he's not alive yet. They have not gone yet to the tomb and discovered what we're about to discover and unwrap this Resurrection Sunday. Their, their dreams and their hopes their expectation is shattered. They expected something, and now they got nothing. I don't know if you've ever experienced an expectation that you had that oh, you're so expecting, perhaps as a child at Christmas or a birthday present, and you end up with nothing. The disappointment, the heart just, just sinks, the hopelessness, the despair. This is what they're experiencing during this day. Etched in their mind, this horrific, horrific scene of the very one that they loved, butchered and hanging on a cross. And so we pick it up in Luke chapter 24. Why is Easter such a big deal? Why? Why? Why do we celebrate? In Luke chapter 24, we'll just read the account. This is one of many accounts. John 20 is also uh, has uh, another vantage point, if you will, of the same thing. But Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, it's the, the day for the Jewish calendar was uh, Sunday, the first day of the week. For us, it's Monday, of course. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They were hoping that someone would be there to roll away the stone so that they could do a proper anointing of his body because they did not feel that that had been done properly. And they were just hoping they'd served him, they'd worship him, they'd sat at his feet, but they hadn't been able to pay their last respects. 
So they go to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Imagine the disappointment to these women because they don't equate this yet, the fact that he's rose from the dead. They just think somebody's stolen his body and they probably feel incredibly ripped off and discouraged. Death is so final. I don't know if you've lost a loved one, somebody, a friend perhaps. There's something so final about death that you will never see or hear from that person again in this lifetime. Often when somebody close to us passes away, we tend to reflect on our last conversation and if you're anything like me, you start to think, gee, I wish if I'd have known <laughs> that was going to be the last time that I would see them, I'd have said something different. If it's a spouse, perhaps, and you don't see them, I, I, I would have I hugged her, I would have kissed her, I would have said how much she means to me. But you don't get another chance. De death is final. It's finished. And they're probably reflecting upon their last conversations and things that Jesus had said and, and grieved by how much he means to them. But they had not yet remembered what he'd said about being raised from the dead. They haven't put two and two together with what they're seeing in empty tomb. They're just feeling the grief of being ripped off. Their expectations shattered. The one final act, paying their last respects. And they're robbed of that as far as their concern, their emotional turmoil would have been intense. But when they entered, they did not find the body, verse 4. But while they were wondering about this, suddenly, oh, we could preach suddenly. There's a lot of suddenlies in the Bible. I like how God interrupts our program. Suddenly, <laughs> two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, they were angels, stood beside them. I, I, I love another account because one was on each side of the stone that Jesus was laid, a type of the ark in heaven is the angels, the cherubim, their wings touching as they face the, the mercy seat where the blood was poured out. These two angels, lightning. Verse 5, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? The truth is, they weren't looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. And I think that's a type, if you will, of so many churches and so many people that profess to be believers that just have a dead theology, ideology experience, a formality, if you will, of attending an ecumenical service with the life in it. 
Somebody said once that a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And I'm so thankful that God gives us opportunity after opportunity to experience his resurrection, to experience the fact that he's not a dead Jesus because a dead Jesus does nobody any good. He's all or he's nothing. He's either alive or he's absolutely nothing. Nothing but a historical memory that some would even debate is whether it's true or not. And this morning, what we're talking about here is so significant that all of history is wrapped around it. Our, our Gregorian calendar, our, even the word history is his story. He's not here. He's risen, verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Oh. I remember something about that. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified. And on the third day, he raised again. And then they remembered his words. I believe it's important that our calendar is punctuated with things like Christmas, Good Friday, and today, Easter. So that we can push pause and we can stop and we can remember his words. That we can appropriate, personalize his words, his promises for us. So that we don't let this just go and continue plodding along as if he's not truly alive. They came back from the tomb. <laughs> And they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And here again is a recount of these women. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. Mary, the mother of James, who's also the mother of Jesus. James was his brother. Yes, she did go on to have other children. And the others with them told this to the disciples. Here's pretty well the statement or the summation of the mindset of today. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So many people today, the words that we preach, even the event today that the preacher's preaching about seemed to them like nonsense. But again, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of somebody with an argument. And I invite you today to experience firsthand. It's the only way you'll ever know. People write books about the historic, historicity of, of fact of the resurrection, and there's, there's awesome stuff. There's more evidence of the life and the death and, and the resurrection than there are of books like Homer's Iliad and, and uh, other major works that are historically people would never doubt. There's so much evidence, Josephus and um, Tacticus, the Roman historian, Josephus, the Jewish historian that have, that have written about this. There's, there's, there's major evidence 
in history as to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's not upon that that you will experience or believe. It's taking that step that says he's alive. And I'm going to take that step of faith to cross that chasm from doubt and unbelief and what looks like just, oh, words of nonsense to try to test it out, to travel it out on the road of faith to learn that he is alive, the only way. The only way is to experience him. All of these people horrifically disappointed living with now a memory and looking at all that he did and probably wondering like the miracles that they witnessed. He raised people from the dead. <laughs> he healed people with incurable diseases. He fed multitudes with just a few loaves and fishes. He walked on water. He did things like turning water into wine. They'd witnessed these incredible miracles. But now the greatest miracle that would bring life and meaning into their life is the resurrection from the dead. Others had been raised from the dead. The two Marys, Mary and Martha rather, their brother Lazarus had been raised by Jesus from the dead. But now nobody has ever raised themselves from the dead. But his father did that. So how do you recover from this? What would their future look like? Who would rescue them now? And then we come to Peter, the next verse, Luke 24, verse 12. says, Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. John's account of this in verse 4 of John 20 says, he and Peter, both of them, were running. But the other disciple, talking about himself, John, outran Peter. And reach the tomb first. You see, I believe that Peter probably would have won the race. Peter was had a prowess about him. Peter was always very active. Peter was very competitive. It was Peter that cut the ear off of one of the soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. The man's ear fell to the ground, and Jesus is like, okay. We can stop this now, Peter. Puts the guy's ear back on again. It was Peter that was there at the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah and Jesus were transfigured before them. Peter, out of ignorance and just loved to hear himself talk, said, oh, should we build, put three tents here, build? No, Peter, just translation, shut up. Listen to, listen to what God has to say. This is my son. Listen to him, Peter. This is not your time. <laughs> 
And Peter runs, but he loses the race to John. John's the one that Jesus loves. He's kind of a, not an athletic kind of guy, more of a cuddly. But you see, Peter had a limp. Peter had a weight that he was carrying. Peter had denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Have you ever, have you ever walked into faith and then walked out? Have you ever acted unbecoming as if God wasn't on the throne of your life? I have. I can sympathize with Peter. Because I started my race really good in my early 20s. Some older women had come to the hotel where I was trying to turn over a new leaf in California after I left Michigan, the state of Michigan and traveled across America in my 66 Ford Mustang. A confused young man graduated from college in America with a business degree, but no job. America, this is 1977, was in recession. All I had to my name was a bit of money from a student loan and a bag of weed. I remember sitting in the middle of the Mojave Desert on the way <laughs> to California from, from which I'd never been to it. I had nothing lined up. I didn't know anybody. Kind of the story of my life, to be honest. My thoughts raced through my head because this car had a lot of miles on it, about 125, 130,000 miles, not kilometers, miles bigger than that. I had to put 50-weight racing oil, Valvoline racing oil, high viscosity in the engine to, just so the engine could run, have enough grunt to get up over the mountains and stopped in the middle of that desert at night. Got out of the car, I looked up, and I saw the stars. First time I'd really seen that many stars because Detroit's got a lot of lights around, a lot of smog at the time, and I went, oh, my God. What is that? And I remember the feeling of being overwhelmed. And when I arrived in San Diego, there was just no vacancies. I spent the first night at the beach. And uh, not a nice place, car full of everything I owned. And I drove around the middle of the city and saw this sign that said, no vacancies. I thought, that looks like a pretty cheap hotel kind of fit my budget, but no vacancy. And I got lost. I drove around again, and the no vacancy had switched to vacancy. Figure that out. So I found a place to park. I went in, and the lady that managed the hotel, Mrs. Peterson, was there. And she said, well, I've got somebody else that wants the room, but I have to rent the room out to whoever has the money first. I had cash. I said, there it is. I still have that receipt. I've kept it all these years later. It's got her signature on it. It means a lot to me. I went in, I got saved. It was, it was older women in their 80s that came to my empty tomb, if you will. Well, it wasn't empty. It had me in it. It was like a place of despair. It was a a place of confusion. It was a young man that really didn't know what he was doing in life, and darkness had surrounded him. And after about a year, 
through real deception, it's the enemy's main weapon, is deception. I got deceived out of my faith and went away. So I, I know what Peter would have been feeling. I felt like I'd betrayed the Lord. I kind of went back into my old life. I experienced more darkness the second time than the first time. I found myself at parties telling people about the God that I denied. I don't know why I was like a magnet. People come up to me. I don't know why. I got to talk to you. Here we go again. Start preaching to them. But I had a limp. I couldn't run for God. I couldn't run fast. I had a weight. I've betrayed him. I've walked away from the faith. I disappointed and let all these women and all these people down. My lifestyle reflected that. So I know what Peter, somewhat, I know somewhat what Peter would have been feeling is his run wouldn't have been as swift as John's because he's got this burden on his back. I don't know if you've ever had a limp in your life. You've not been faithful to God. If you've ever gotten entangled in your own mess, I, I don't fish, but Peter was a fisherman. Uh, uh, every time I try to fish, I get these lines tangled up, and that's why I don't fish. It just becomes a mess. But I was entangled in the mess of my life. And perhaps that's you this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're watching online, and you know you've been entangled in the mess of your own thinking for so long. But try though you may, you're not going to untangle it yourself. Try though he may, Peter couldn't untangle the mess that he'd gotten himself into. He needed a savior. He needed someone to come along that wasn't part of that mess like Mary Magdalene to come along and deliver her from such a hell of being demon-possessed and sane. Dead Jesus couldn't help me. A dead Jesus will never help you either. Philippians 3. All he's all <laughs> or he's nothing. And you have to make up your mind. Philippians 3:10, listen to this. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know. What? An argument? A historical fact? A dead religion? No. To know the power of his resurrection. Participate in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You either know him and the power of his resurrection or you really don't know him at all. If there was no resurrection, then Jesus is nothing. But because there is a resurrection, Jesus is everything. 
the very thing that you need wherever you're at right now, whatever mess that you're in, or perhaps life is cruising along, but he's all or he's nothing. So my life reached an intersection. You see, Jesus isn't something that you try. <laughs> I hear people sometimes and they'll go, oh, oh give it a try. No, no, you won't. You, you, you can try all you want, but this isn't like, oh, I'll try some Diet Coke or I've never had Vegemite. We'll try a little bit of it, see if we like it. No, 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 you won't try him. Faith, faith isn't something you're just going to try it. Faith is something, it's an all or nothing proposition. You're either boots in and all. He's either the Lord of your life or he's nothing. And if he's nothing, if you're just going to try him, you're never going to know him. You won't know him that way through just trying a little bit of this, a little bit of religion, a little bit. The only way to know the one way Jesus is to give him everything. Oh, that's a hard message, Pastor Ed. I know. I know it. See, without God, everything amounts to nothing. Maybe it hasn't dawned on you yet. <laughs> but again, when you say goodbye to somebody that's died and you know the finality of it, and you know that you're never going to talk to them in this lifetime ever again or see them ever again in this lifetime, and then you contemplate your own life and you realize that all your money, all your accomplishments, all the pictures that you've taken of all the castles, and I've traveled the world and got pictures in some fantastic places. All, all, all of it. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if there is no hereafter with God, if there is no alive Jesus, then all of that means nothing. That's a reality check. Check me on that, but I don't think any of us escapes two things, death and taxes. We're all going to pay our taxes one way or the other. They're coming for you. <laughs> and one way or the other, you're going out of here. And as Denzel Washington said, I've never seen a U-Haul, a Hearst yet, rather, pulling a U-Haul trailer. U-Haul is a company in America that you move furniture. <laughs> I've never seen that yet. You don't take it with you. I've been down into the, the Great Pyramid of Giza, and it's all been plundered in and, and museums. They didn't take it with them, and you won't either. All that Jesus did before is virtually meaningless if he wasn't raised back to life. A dead Jesus means nothing. Alive Jesus. He means everything. So, with God, everything, the Bible says, is possible. Because He's everything, you've got hope. What you're going through, it's not going to destroy you, but no hope will destroy you. 
It isn't what you're going through right now that's actually going to crush you. It's having no hope. I don't know if you've encountered people that had no hope, that hopelessness in their eyes. That's what kills. But because he lives, your expectation can exceed your experience. Because he lives, God will give you more than you can ask or think. You might know him in that power. Because he's everything, I have his presence <laughs> to destroy my problem. See, a dead Jesus can't destroy the problem that you're facing right now, but a living Jesus means a living presence, and a living presence means a, a, a living active power in my life to destroy whatever it is that's plaguing me right now, whatever it is right now that's in your life, that's messing with your mind, that's messing with your life, that's messing with your family, that's, that's destroying your relationships, whatever that is, a dead Jesus is no good to face that with, but a living Jesus means a, a living presence, a powerful presence of one that's everything. So whatever you're facing right now, you've got him, the creator of the universe, the one that was raised from the dead to overcome, to destroy your problem. So your problem's never permanent. And because he is love, the Bible says love Never fails. Never. 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 Because he's everything. My after <laughs> replaces my before. Do you like those before and after photos? You know, every now and again, pops up on my news feed, take this supplement or whatever, and shows this guy with a big old huge belly and then it shows the before, and then it shows the after. You go, whoa, that's pretty amazing transformation right there. Whatever your before is, that photo that you're not, you're not proud of, the ugly that you were, and perhaps you're there right now, and you know there's just things in my life that I, if everybody could see it, they, I wouldn't want it up there on the screens. All of us have that to some degree. We're not perfect except in him. But whatever that before is, I thank God there's an after photo. There's a, there's a, a photo of you that's in his mind, that's in his heart, that says you're beautiful. I've, I've, done, I've dealt with that. I've dealt with your sin. I've, I've nailed it to the cross. I absorbed that darkness on behalf of you so that you can exchange that now with my beauty, with my presence. Because I'm alive, I will help you with that. My after replaces my before. Why does it take so long, God? Sometimes I'm waiting, and I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting for meals. I don't like waiting for planes. I don't like waiting for anything. I'm a very impatient person, and yet we're doing a series on Fruit of the Spirit, and, and Matt preached a, just a great message. I encourage you to go get it on patience. <laughs> I, I was convicted, Matt, watching that. Peter was impatient. I can relate. 
But somewhere in there in God's mercy, he wants your character to catch up. He gives you time. He's not playing hard with that. He sees the after picture of you that you don't see. You're looking at the before shot. But he gives you time for your character to catch up with that after photo of you beautified because of him. He doesn't leave me. He leaves me in my situation long enough for my character to catch up with the miracle of the new birth. Because he's everything. His story is my story. That's history in the making. His story can become your story. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, not the only fruit, of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The principle of first fruits is this, because the first is blessed, all the rest is blessed. When the priests went out, they blessed the very first of the harvest, whether it was barley or wheat or whatever it was. They waved that before uh, God. They, the, the priest would pronounce a blessing over that. And the principle is this, that the history of the first, because the first is blessed, then the history of all the rest is blessed. The history of the first fruits, Jesus is blessed. And because of that, because he is the first fruits, your name, your number of the harvest is in there because of him. You are blessed. His history now is your history. But a dead Jesus doesn't do any good. His cross, his cave became your conquest. Listen to Colossians 2.12. And having been buried with him, that's you. That's what we look at water baptism represents. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. You were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. He died. He was the first to ever die in sin by taking sin as sin, but to be raised in righteousness so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ, the firstborn of many brethren. Sometimes we think, oh, well, he was raised from the dead. That's, that's good. But we don't go the next step he said this when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's in John chapter 11. He said this in verse 25 because the women were crying. Ah, uh, I know you're going to, I know you raise people from the dead. Why don't you raise our brother from the dead? And then Jesus says to her, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I resurrect dead things. 
There's a difference there, and we don't have time, but he uses his title forever present. Not I'm going to be or I was. I am. Moses said, who shall, who shall I tell men that, you, that sent me? He says, tell them I am. I am. I am that I am. He's not bound by time. He's outside of time. He stepped, stepped into time. He is I am. He's not just a resurrecting God. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes in me, uh, sorry, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Were you resurrected with him? He was dead, and you were dead. He's alive. You're alive. Colossians 3, and probably the last scripture we'll have here before we close, but Colossians 3, 1 to 4. I love this one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear <laughs> with him in glory. That's shouted stuff right there. My goodness, this is not just some little holiday that we eat chocolate and get a day off. This is a celebration <laughs> like no other. It's something that we need to ask instead of asking, do I have what it takes to conquer this? Ask yourself, does Jesus have what it takes to conquer this? Because if he does, you do. As he is, so am I in this world. I'm in him. I'm not separate from him. As, as he died, my sin, my past, my, 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 my mistakes, they died with him. But as he is raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead with him because I'm in him. If he does, friend, then you do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not a slogan. It's a fact. Ask yourself, did Jesus conquer this? Whatever this is in your life right now, did Jesus conquer this when he rose from the dead? Because if he did, you did. Questions no longer, can I conquer it? But did he conquer it? Ask yourself, am I in him? Because if you are, because he is everything. If you are in him, then you become everything that you need. See, I don't always have what it takes to conquer whatever's come my way. But Jesus always has what it takes. He is all or he is nothing. You have to make up your mind. I don't have enough faith. Does he have enough faith? I don't feel worthy. Is he worthy? 
You see, if you're in him, you're in him. It's not relying on your own track record, your own ability. The good news about Resurrection Sunday is I step out of me and I step into him. I step out of my ability, my, my own worthiness, my own track record, whatever it is. The question is, is he enough? What really matters is Jesus has what it takes, not you. So I invite you as the worship team comes up, I invite you this, this morning, we're going to celebrate here live in a moment. <laughs> Get out of the cave. Don't have a dead man expectation. Have a resurrection expectation. Get your testimony out of the tomb. Tell yourself, I only have what it takes because he has what it takes. You get to preach to yourself. You get to preach at your own funeral. <laughs> That's what this morning is all about. So I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray a prayer, to take a step of faith, to cross over a chasm called unbelief and to make a decision to make him the Lord of your life, to invite him into your heart, to make him everything and not treat him as nothing. I want everyone here to close your eyes and to pray this prayer out loud. If you're watching online, I invite you to pray this prayer and mean it. Don't try, Jesus. I'll give it a try. No, 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 no. To make a decision on Resurrection Sunday that I am going to give him everything because he is everything. I'm going to be found in him. Today's my day. Perhaps if you're like Peter and like me and you went away from him, I invite you to come back, but come back all the way. Not part of the way. Don't just put your toes in the swimming pool. Jump in. Just plunge in. I said, he's either Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. You, you have to make up your, your mind. He came back in the book of Revelation and rebuked the church. He says, you, you're neither hot or cold. She says, you're lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You have a choice to make. And I invite you to choose Jesus this morning. So I'd like us all to, to pray right now. This is a soul-searching time. It's between you and him. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say this, say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I turn from my own way, from my own ability, from treating you as if you're nothing. I give you everything. I make this decision today. Jesus, make a way in my life. Do what I can't do. I thank you ahead of time. By faith, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.